0: here, And this morning we'll be jumping back into the book of Acts, Acts chapter 18. And so if you have your smartphones with you, your tablets and your Bibles, uh, please turn with me this morning to Acts chapter 18. And so in Acts chapter 18, it outlines the second half of Paul's second missionary travels and the first part of his third missionary journey. And in these four verses, which we're about to read here, verses one to four, Paul is traveling by himself to Corinth, which is a central city west of Athens. So let's read. And if you don't have your Bibles with you, it'll be up on the screen for you. It says after these events, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth and he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, having recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. He came to them, and because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them, and they worked together, for they were tent makers by trade. And Paul was reasoning in the synagogue every Sabbath and trying to persuade Jews and Greeks. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for... Your word this morning, God, we thank you for the worship father. We thank you for a congregation that is faithful to giving God. And we, as we turn our eyes towards scripture, Lord, we open our hearts and our ears to hear what you have to say to us this morning in your name. We pray. Amen. So Corinth was the final major European city to receive Paul. And this city had two major seaports. Corinth was a center of Aphrodite worship, the goddess of love. In fact, it is well known or was well known as the sin city of the day. And it's into this culture and setting that Paul enters with the gospel. Upon his arrival, Paul immediately finds support from a Jewish couple named Aquila and Priscilla, who later became prominent in the early church. And are mentioned in numerous New Testament letters. Luke says that they were originally from Pontus, which is in Asia Minor. And this is significant because Jews from Pontus were reported to be at Pentecost when the Holy Spirit fell. And today is actually Pentecost Sunday. Isn't that amazing? hmm? And so this detail then explains that they had been believing Jews for some time. Additionally, they were were told that they had been banned from Rome by Claudius, and this is because in AD 49, a riot broke out among the Jews in Rome over the name of Christ. And believing and unbelieving Jews were rioting, but the emperor decided to expel all Jews from the city. Later, Aquila and Priscilla were able to return, but for such a time as this, these two believing Jews were displaced in Corinth and met Paul. Luke notes their meeting by saying, they were both both, I should say. They were both tent makers, so it's possible they met while seeking employment. It's also evident that this connection was a great blessing to Paul, and the Lord supplied it to encourage him in his early days there. Also, I know it's probably difficult for us to understand how hard it must have been for Paul to enter that city alone. Remember, he had no financial support. He had none. No friends in the city. And he was delivering a challenging message to a famously sinful city that drew sailors and people from all around. However, the Lord was kind to Paul. Has the Lord ever been kind to you, church? The Lord was kind to Paul and boosted him up with the blessing of Jews who knew the Lord and the Lord is still doing this today. Some of you might have heard our story and uh, of how we came to Washington State. So my wife and I, we were in Michigan and we believed that the Lord had called. Well, we weren't planning to stay that long, but then we felt like the Lord was calling us to do ministry there. And we had put down some roots. We put down on a house and all those things. And after about a year... That kind of fell through. And we are like, Lord, what's happening here? We felt like this is how you were leading us. And this is where we're supposed to be. And, and so we're in Michigan. And I'm in a meeting whereby the people who were about to employ me at the church, they tell me, man, we can't employ you in this moment any longer. Some other things came up. And uh, we're sorry. We just can't do it at this point in time. Unbeknownst to me. There's a man in Edgewood, Washington, Pastor Dan Birch, who messages these guys while we're in that meeting to say, like, man, do you know anyone that's looking for a ministry position in Edgewood, Washington and is willing to move? They told me a couple of days later and I was like, yeah, let's give it a try. And and so we started having a phone conversation. I had never met Dan and he just took a step of faith. I mean, this could turn out really bad. It could have, you know, and he just took a step of faith called call me and we started a phone conversation, as I mentioned, and we started working out the stuff with Foursquare and or district supervisor at that time. And quickly, uh. It was at the time, I believe, Lifespring was taking a trip to Israel. And so we're communicating by email some. And then the whole situation changed around whereby, like, I was going to be hired part-time for a few hours. But then uh, Foursquare was like, well, really it changed. And he needs to be hired full-time. And we need to be figuring this out. And Pastor Dan was like, you know what? We're walking with Jesus. We'll figure it out. We're walking with Jesus. We'll figure it out. And he made that commitment. I should have been working for three months. And the district decided to make a commitment unbeknownst to him. And unbeknownst to me, I had been spending a season in prayer and fasting. And they called me and they were all like, the district decided to pay all your back pay your expenses to move. But then we were moving here and we didn't even know where we were going to live. And we get this call from Pastor Dan while we're coming from a life group prayer meeting. And he's like, there's this amazing couple and they just open up their home. They've never done anything like this. We didn't meet them ever. We just talked on the phone as well. And they were like, you can come and stay at our house and figure it out for about six months. Like have the Lord ever served you like that? Hmm? The Lord was serving Paul. Church, many of you have these stories. People who step out into the mission field can tell many stories of God showing up by His providence when they most needed Him. Things like money coming in in the nick of time. Strangers who lend a hand at just the right time. Or governmental red tapes that mysteriously disappear. Disappear. Friends, don't ever let the enemy convince you that you're alone in this. Paul was blessed with a couple who shared his faith, his Jewish culture, and even his trade. I mean, only God does things like that. And Paul was immediately reassured as he knew that the Lord was supplying all his needs every step of the way. As in the case of Paul, often... As was in our case, the Lord will use His church and the people of God as a source of His provision to provide in tangible ways or through prayer and encouragement for us. Church, that's you. You get to be a part of that. You get to play a part in encouraging others by the name of the Lord. And so my first point then is this. We need each other. We need each other. We need each other in this life. You might have heard it, hashtag better together. That is how a lot of people say today. But we really do need each other. Don't do this life alone. So having been strengthened for the hard work ahead, Paul continues within the local synagogue. He reasons with them weekly, attempting to convince Jew and Greeks that Jesus is the Messiah. But from the text, it's evident that he wasn't making much progress. And I want us to remember this moment in Paul's life. The next time you find yourself working for the Lord, but finding nothing to show for it. Like, have you ever been there? Hmm? Remember this, if the Apostle Paul could have dry seasons, so can we. And I'm sure Paul was getting a little disheartened, but notice what he does. Verse 5 of chapter 18, it says, But when Silas and Timothy came down from Macedonia, Paul began devoting himself completely to the word, testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Christ. When Timothy and Silas arrived... It allowed Paul to double down his efforts. First, they brought reports of good news from the church in Thessalonica. And Paul later noted this in his writing of how encouraged he was by the news in that city. Second, they brought donations from the church in Philippi. And as Luke noted, this allowed Paul to devote himself completely to the word. Here, Luke implies that Paul stopped working and lived on the donations and spent every waking hour in God's Word. So Paul devotes himself fully to the Word. But what do you think Paul was doing in the Word? First, we know that he taught author churches. But this is also where he wrote First and Second Thessalonians and wrote a letter back to the church in Rome, perhaps upon suggestion of Aquila. Remember, they had met there. But secondly... Paul probably did his homework to address the doubts and objections of the Jews in the synagogues in Corinth. Remember, he hadn't successfully converted anyone yet. So he must have been looking for additional scriptural evidence to use in reasoning with the Jews. And finally... Paul would have studied to strengthen himself and build his confidence and spirit in the face of this opposition. I mean, just a daily exposure to sin and the evil of that city must have weighed on Paul. Like, have you ever been there? I've been in places and spaces where, as I'm walking through or in that space, I have just have to be praying in the Spirit. Or when I come out of such a situation, I have just had to sit with the Father and turn to His Word. And additionally, for Paul, in such a hostile environment, with no converts, you bet he'd be in God's Word. Why do I say that? Church... The thought of spending time in God's Word should strike us as a comforting place to go when life gets us down. A trademark of strong faith is a love for God's Word and a dependence upon it in times of distress. His Word allows us to recalibrate our emotions and to be built up by the Spirit. I want to remind you, don't assume that the Lord isn't working on your behalf just because the results aren't showing up on the timeline that you have. Spend time in the Word. So point number two is this. God's Word is a source of strength. Let's keep reading. Verses 5 to 10. Again, it says, but when Silas and Timothy came down from Macedonia, Paul began devoting himself completely to the word, testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Christ. But when they resisted and blasphemed, he shook out his garments and said to them, your blood is on your own heads. I am clean. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. Then he left the synagogue and went to the house of a man named Titius Justus, a worshiper of God, whose house was next door to the synagogue. Crispus, the leader of the synagogue, believed in the Lord together with his entire household. And many of the Corinthians, as they listened to Paul, were believing and being baptized. And the Lord said to Paul by a vision at night, Do not be afraid any longer, but go on speaking and do not be silent. For I am with you and no one will attack you or harm you. For I have many people in this city. So despite his best measures, they resisted Paul. And really, the word in the Greek here carries a stronger meaning. It actually means that they battled against Paul. And they blasphemed God, causing Paul to disregard them by shaking the dust out of his clothes. That's equivalent to something like, you know what, if you tell someone, I'm done with you, I'm over it. This is essentially what Paul was doing or saying to them. And so Paul is clearly frustrated, and he vows to give up on the Jews in this city, and he has given the Jews so much of himself. I'd also say that Paul is frustrated because this is the first time he has failed to convert a single Jew. And it's also the first time he's been unable to establish a church in a new city. Those first-time failures are very difficult. They're hard. I mean, if you followed the story of Paul, the Apostle Paul, he's done amazing things in his life, every city they've been going to. But this is the first time he's met these challenges. And Paul probably kept preaching and waiting for at least some Jew In the waiting remnant to respond, but none did. Interestingly, Paul marches out of the synagogue into the home of a believing Roman Gentile who lives next door to the synagogue, just as. And I mean, this entire experience, it must have been unsettling for Paul. And he must have been thinking like, God, am I even supposed to be planting a church here in Corinth? But then, Paul gets... His first convert. Scripture doesn't say this, but I'd imagine that Crispus followed Paul out of the synagogue and confessed Christ. Paul later writes that Crispus was one of the few people he personally baptized in Corinth. And what I see here is this. This is one of the ways God likes to work. I mean like we exhaust ourselves working for him at times, but he begins to work when we stop and give it over to him. When we stop and give it over to him. It seems to me that Paul was studying and working on converting at least a few Jews, and meanwhile, God was waiting for Paul to stop trying to do this in his own power. I see God making clear that the conversion of Corinth, whether Jew or Greek, was in his providence, not Paul's skill. Additionally, I'm particularly struck by two things in this regard. First, God appears to Paul in a vision and encourages Paul to continue preaching. He says that no one will harm you. That in itself is profound. The Lord himself came and encouraged Paul. But Paul must have been pretty down and out for God to present this vision. Actually, it's the only time Paul is encouraged in such a direct way by God. And to me, it suggests that Paul had been striving in his own power and was now feeling like he had failed or was threatened. So God has stepped in dramatically to reassure the struggling Paul that Paul's ministry is destined to produce fruit. But I also know that God is also implying that he will bring the fruit when and where he wants. I remind you, not because you don't see God working or you don't see the evidence of those things, doesn't mean that he's, he isn't working in the background. So Paul can't let this lack of result discourage him. As to be discouraged in this context, really, is to think that we are the ones in control of the outcome. See, knowingly or not, we may at times look at Paul as though he were not really human, like us. And so, we may find it hard to acknowledge that this hero of the faith could ever face the same kind of fear which hinders and frustrates us. We may think of Paul as a super apostle who was never impacted by ridicule or opposition or persecution. But quite frankly, that's wrong. In the verse we read earlier, the Lord told Paul, do not be afraid any longer. And if scripture said he was afraid, then he was afraid. And if the courageous apostle who preached to confrontational audiences could be afraid, how much more? can we experience moments of fear Hmm? but take note of what God says to Paul for I am with you imagine that I myself am with you See, Paul knew his ups and downs, just as you and I, just as we know our ups and downs. Church, only God is unchanging. We are changing and variable. We have our ups and downs. Paul also had his own. But like Paul, we can have confidence in knowing that God is the one who will ultimately care for us in our trials. So my final point for you this morning is this. We can persevere because he is with us. In John 16, Jesus said, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. See, Jesus knew that we would face hardships and trials. And there are times when adversity affects all of us. But be encouraged today as adversity is what builds our character. And likewise, as with Paul, God empowers us to persevere, to keep going, to keep walking with the one who has overcome every kind of adversity. And his name is Jesus. I said his name is Jesus. Amen. So be encouraged today, church. Remember, we need each other. God's word is a source of strength. And we can persevere because he's with us. After having been encouraged by the Lord, verse 11 says, So Paul stayed in Corinth for a year and a half, teaching them the word of God. And at this time, Pastor Dan will be joining us on stage to finish us out.
1: Amen. Verse 12. While Gallio was proconsul of Achaia, the Jews of Corinth made a united attack on Paul It brought Paul to a place of judgment. This man they charged is persuading the people to worship God in ways contrary to the law. Now, just as Paul was about to raise his voice and speak, Galileo said to them, if you Jews were making a complaint about some misdemeanor or serious crime, it would be reasonable for me to listen to you. But since it involves questions about words and names of your own law, settle the matter yourselves. I will not be a judge of such things. So he drove them off. Then the crowd there turned on Sosthenes, the synagogue leader, beat him in front of the proconsul, and Galileo showed no concern whatever. You know, our journey through the book of Acts has been really good. For me, I'm learning a lot. I've read the book of Acts before, but I don't know about you. It just feels like you can read the thing a thousand times, and each time the Lord speaks in a new and fresh way. Anybody else? Like, I'm just growing so much in this season here at LifeSpring. One of the things that became really apparent in these chapters, and we've covered quite a few chapters, you just heard it, I think, in what Jesse talked about, is you're, you're experiencing wildly different responses from different people to the same message. Does that make sense? So there's wildly different responses from different people, but it's the same message. And so, again, we've covered it So many times already in the last few months, Paul, he'll share the good news of Jesus. Some people will receive the message. Others will reject the message. Today, you saw it, right? Some opposed Paul. They were even abusive towards Paul, battling against Paul, as verse 6 talks about. And yet others, like that synagogue leader, Crispus, and his entire household, by the way, they believe in the Lord. Same message. Different responses. These different responses, I, I want you to hear this. They greatly affect Paul's life. Does that make sense? Like, have you thought about the people in your life who respond, accept, or reject, and how it's affected your life? It affects his life. Let me explain this. Pastor Laura, she showed us just a couple of weeks ago. There's these people in Thessalonica, and they believe in the message. Praise the Lord. Yay, let's sing a song, right? That's really good. But some didn't receive the message. In fact, they were so grumpy and so anti the message of Jesus, that when Paul goes to Berea, what did those grumpy, mean, anti-Jesus people do? They followed Paul, right? They left Thessalonica. They followed Paul in Berea. What? To stir up crowds in Berea against Paul. Are you catching this, church? Different responses by different people to the same message. And I want you to feel that. Again, their responses affect Paul's Life. And it really hit me this time around because, I don't know if you've noticed, we're living in a pretty divisive time, right? That's not news to anybody. You can talk about almost any topic and you're going to get a pretty wide range of responses. Here's just a couple topics. We could talk about abortion. We could talk about climate change. It's June 5th, so we could talk about Pride Month. We could talk about Elon Musk. That's an exciting topic. Sex education in public schools. I could go on. Right? So many topics. And just by me saying those topics, your heart is beating a little faster, right? Your palms are getting a little sweaty. These topics bring such strong, often immediate and passionate reactions and responses. Anybody at a family gathering lately, you thought you said a very benign comment, right? And what happened. It was as if you had dropped a match onto dry tender or dry kindling and just all of a sudden you find yourself in a huge argument or depending on how your family fights, maybe just extremely awkward silence. That's the kind of world we're living in. Wildly different, but also strong reactions to the same topic. But why is Paul facing these different responses? Why is Paul seeing and facing this divisiveness? Well, because he's talking about the topic of topics, the subject of subjects, Jesus. Have you ever said Jesus in a room before? Nothing gets things stirred like the name of Jesus. Jesus. See, Paul's sharing wherever he goes the goodness of Jesus, and it's like a match to dry kindling where some are leaning in and say, wow, like tell us more, and how do we get saved, and where's some water, let's get baptized. But others are like, no, 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 no way. Like, not only do we reject your message, we reject you. And what I felt like the Lord was asking me to share with you this morning is simply this, in the world in which we live in, As you're trying to live out and walk out the Great Commission and sharing Jesus with the world around you. I mean, the world around you, your sphere of influence. So as you're trying to share Jesus maybe with your kids or your grandkids. As you're trying to be a witness to your spouse, maybe to your parents. As you're trying to be, you know, like the light of Christ, right? Trying to share the good news with coworkers, colleagues, bosses, classmates, maybe even on social media. You're going to get some different responses. And some are going to receive, but others, man, there's just a good chance you're going to face criticism. You're going to face opposition. And you're going to face flat-out rejection. Right? I, mean, I don't have to say that to you. I like, mean, I've already experienced that, Pastor Dan. But as a wise, godly mentor once told me, Dan, as a Christian, you're going to face rejection. Get used to it. Just make sure people are rejecting you because of Christ in you and not just because you're kind of a jerk. Right? Because let's be honest. That's often what the world sees in us. It's this negative, hypercritical, judgmental, grumpy, kind of mean, speaking more about what we're for or what we're against instead of what we're for. And we don't want people to reject that, right? We, we want instead to be living in such a way where if anybody's going to reject me, I want them to be rejecting Christ in me. And that's a part of the journey that we're on. I love the journey of being a Christian and growing in Christ. It's how to walk close with Jesus. It's so important that you establish those healthy daily rhythms of walking with Jesus. Read the Bible every day. Pray in the Spirit every day worship the lord every day there's so many scriptures and commands to sing to the lord listen and obey the holy spirit every day church you got to get to the gym of faith get to the gym of faith and work it out every day so that those around you this is so important so that those around you in your school in your workplace in the grocery store on i-5 even in your home might see who they might see jesus in you And when they see Jesus in you, some are going to reject that. Some will reject the hope, the love, the life that is found in Jesus. It's going to happen. Get used to it. But some are going to lean in and say, wait, what did you say? Tell me more. Tell me more. And they'll believe and be saved. Isn't that what we want? Isn't that what we want? I mean, that's what I want. Out of my love for God and my love for others, the lost to be found, the blind to see, the spiritually dead to come alive in Christ. That's why I'm here, by the way. I want to see dead people rise again. And that's what the Apostle Paul wanted. So he stays in Corinth for a year and a half. He's just flowing in the Spirit of God, teaching the Word of God. But then look what happens. I just read this. Paul, he's delivering this life-giving message of Christ for a year and a half. And Scripture says the Jews of Corinth, their response is to make a united attack against Paul. I mean, he's just sharing the good news of Jesus. And what he gets in return is a united attack where he's even brought before a Roman proconsul or a Roman senator. Now, have you read Paul? Like, for Paul, this is pretty normal. Like, this is just kind of how it goes. In the first letter to the Corinthians, a letter he writes later on, he he talks about this. He goes, It seems to me that God has put us apostles on display at the end of the procession. We're, like, condemned to die in the arena. We've been made a spectacle to the whole universe, to angels as well as to human beings. Verse 11, he says, I mean, to this very hour, like, right now we go hungry, we're thirsty, we're in rags, we're brutally treated, we're homeless. We've become the scum of the earth. The garbage of the world right up to this moment second corinthians you've heard this one before you know it but he says hey we're hard pressed on every side we're persecuted we're struck down like we can't get away from it we're always being given over to death for jesus sake i mean this guy he knows trials he knows hardships he knows attack he knows rejection and yet i love paul He's got this tenacity, this fervor, this resolve, this passion to continue to tell people about Jesus. He's counted the cost. And he's decided to lay it all down so that people around him might hear about the abundant life found in Jesus. He's willing to endure it all for the sake of God but also for others. But church, what about you? What about you? What about me? What about us? Not the person next to you, but you. Are you so compelled by the love of God and what God has done in your life to share that good news with others? I hope we are. I hope you are. Because I don't know if you've noticed, but this is a great time to be alive. And this is a great region to be alive in. Because it's kind of a mess. And do you know who's really good with a mess? Like these cities, like Wake Up Church, these cities that Paul is traveling through, Thessalonica, Corinth, these aren't like just perfect utopia or like perfect Christian cities. These are cities jam-packed full of lost people. They're worshiping false gods. They're doing wildly horrific, immoral things. And yet when the message of Jesus falls on their hearts, come on. Some... Say, Paul, you're crazy, and you got to go. But others, they say, tell me more. And it radically changes their lives. And the church of Jesus is established in these cities. In the midst of the chaos, the darkness, the brokenness, full of the idol worship and sexual immorality, it is right there in these new communities where new, precious, beautiful gardens, come on, hallelujah, precious, beautiful gardens of God's love and grace and justice and mercy and life begin to grow and rise up. It's because of Paul's willingness to count the cost and deliver a message that some would reject, but others would accept. But again, church, what about us? What about you? What kind of ridicule and pushback are you willing to endure? I mean that. Some of us got to grow up, mature in Christ. You've been sitting in the pews long enough. When are we finally ready to endure the attack, to stand against the united attack? Are you willing to face rejection? Honestly. Because I haven't heard a lot of people say it's going to get better before it gets worse. So in this season, right now, at such a time as this, are you willing to stand up and face rejection? And again, not because you're grumpy and kind of mean, but because you have the good news of Jesus living in your heart and you're willing to share it with somebody else. It's crazy. I was golfing yesterday in the rain with one of my best friends. And I was thinking about when... We were friends back in the day in high school. People were like, why are you friends with him? He's so mean to you. And and he would admit that. He was just a flat-out jerk to me. He was not nice to me. And yet the Lord called me to be his friend. And no one can take away from me that moment in our dorm room at the University of Wyoming when I got to lead him to Christ. Are you willing to face a little bit of hardship and trial and even rejection for people to have eternal life with Jesus? At this point, I'd love for the ushers to begin to pass out communion. Ushers, if you could pass out the elements. We want to conclude by taking communion together. And, and I love taking communion together because it's in communion where we remember what Christ has done. Not just in this world, but what Christ has done in my life. Right? What has Christ done in your life? I mean, we know this. One of the reasons Paul is so passionate about sharing the good news is Paul is no dummy, right? He understands how much Jesus has done for him. Paul even calls himself, he says, I'm the worst of sinners. I'm the chief sinner. Remember, church, we've read this account on the road to Damascus, on his way to persecute followers of Jesus. It's right there, on his way of committing evil and things against god antichrist is right there on that road that jesus meets with him and he encounters paul and he saves paul he delivers paul and after experiencing this radical conversion and salvation paul spends the rest of his life with passion and love he wants to tell everybody about what jesus has done for him life spring think about what jesus has done for you Think of all, I mean, uh, we don't have to, like, write it down, but just think of all the ways you've fallen short. Again, we don't have to have testimony time, but you would need a few pages, right? You'd need more than just, like, a couple bullet points to list all the ways that you've fallen short. And yet, by His body broken for you. Come on. By the blood shed for you, you've been forgiven. And you've been set free. And you've been given a new heart. And you've been given a new spirit. And you have been made whole. Come on. You have been made whole in ways you did not even know were possible. But that's what Jesus does. Jesus has done something in you. He's invaded your darkness with his marvelous light. You have the light of Christ living in you. But come on, church. Who lights a lamp and then hides it with a bowl? No, what do you do? You light the lamp and you put it on a stand so it can shine and invade the darkness of that entire house. Church, this is not the time to hide what Jesus has done in your life. You don't have to wait till everything is perfect and you've got it all figured out and every answer or question is answered. Right now, right here, it is the time to let your light shine so that those around you can see what Jesus can do. And some will reject it. And when they do come back, and we'll pray together and encourage each other. In fact, it might get worse. And it might be united. And you might feel like, oh my goodness, everyone in this room is against me. Well, we just read a couple of days ago, he says, he, Jesus said to, his, he said, he said to his disciples, he goes, well, if they persecuted me, newsflash, they're going to persecute you. What are you scared of, church? You've got Jesus and nothing and no one can take you away from the love of God that is found in Christ Jesus our Lord. So, yeah, some will reject him, but others, and this is what it's all about, and this is what I'm willing to lay my life down for, in the messy mess of it all, others will believe and be saved. Others will find salvation in Jesus Christ, eternal, abundant, joy-filled life that goes on forever and ever. Amen. Sunday is today. We celebrate that the Spirit of God is now living in us. We are that temple. And by His Spirit, church, we can access His power and His presence to spread the good news. You don't have to do this on your own. The Lord is here to help you. But I want us to be challenged by this. So if we could just take a moment here quietly before the Lord with what Pastor Jesse spoke, with what I just shared. Allow the Lord to speak to your heart in this moment and see what he might want to tell you, what he might want to show you on what it looks like for you in your context, in your atmosphere, in your environment, where you are living, what it looks like to share Jesus, the good news of Jesus with others. So let's just be quiet and then we'll take this together. Lord Jesus, your passion for your disciples and your passion for us is overwhelming. Even in the last few uh, moments you had with your disciples, you washed their feet, showing us a true radical love. We thank you, Lord, for the love that is found in you, Jesus. We thank you that even in that garden, you said yes once again to the Father's will so that we might be saved and brought into your everlasting kingdom. We thank you for the body broken for us. Let's take this together. And, Lord, we thank you for the blood, the blood that continues to speak a better life and a better word over us. We thank you, Lord, that we're covered even now. We're covered. We thank you for a blood that not only covers sins, but takes away our sins. We thank you, Jesus. Lord, as we take this bread and this juice, Lord, I just pray that we would be compelled by your spirit, the power of your Holy Spirit. To be witnesses again. To be witnesses again to our families, to our coworkers, to our classmates, to our family. The good news of Jesus. Let's take this together. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for people like Paul. Thank you for people like Priscilla. Thank you for people like Phoebe. Thank you for people like... Junia. Thank you for people like Peter. Thank you for all these legends of the faith who counted the cost and were willing to endure such opposition, persecution, and rejection to make a way for people to hear the good news of Jesus. Lord, may we carry that baton well today with joy in our hearts. Lord, just, I just been feeling this lately there are christians who've been christians a long time and they are struggling and somehow satan has silenced their joy and yet that is such a falsehood because we are powerful in you jesus and satan is defeated in you jesus And so any area where you've allowed the evil one to have his way, today you can say, no, not today, no longer, because I've got the body of Christ broken for me and the blood of Christ shed for me that speaks a better word over me. And so church, if that's you today, if your identity has been shaken by the evil one, once again, find a sure foundation and a true identity in Jesus again. Some of you have lost your voice. Allow your voice to be found again in Jesus. Some of you have lost your dance Be bold today and dance again before Jesus. Thank you, Lord. And some will reject our dance. I've done this enough to know that some have rejected my song. They don't want to hear my song. But, God, I'm going to keep singing. (laughs) Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Church, just right now as we're praying to the Lord, let the Holy Spirit wash you again and give you a song to start singing, a dance to start dancing. Come on, just allow the Spirit of God to speak His identity over you again. Allow Him to fill you again. Some of you are so just tied up and you are paralyzed, but the Lord says, I have come to set you free. You are to dance and sing before me again. May your mouth be loosed before the Lord today. In the name of Jesus, Lord, this is a place of freedom. Break free, Lord, in your people today. Why? So that Seattle might hear the good news of Jesus. And though some might reject it, Lord Jesus, we thank you. Some will believe and be saved. Oh, man, this is so good. Thank you, Jesus. We praise you, Lord. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Would you stand with us, church?